Hi everyone, welcome to another session of Helping Others to Freedom, learning how to help others and also get the help ourselves. Um, we've been looking at um, how sins, wounds and demons can be the primary and general um, areas of blockage to blessing in our lives and sins need to be repented of, wounds need to be healed, demons need to be expelled and it's important to apply the right remedy to each problem. And today we're looking at the demonic specifically occult idolatry and Freemasonry. And I just want to give a bit of a warning that we do not become infatuated by the demonic realm right at the beginning of this session. I think it's important. So Lord Jesus, we do ask for your protection, the precious blood to cover us and that we wouldn't become unhealthily interested in this area. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. There is a, a warning in the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis um, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. The first is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased, that is the demons are equally pleased by both errors and heal a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So we don't want to fall into the mistake of being a materialist. As many in the church are, they don't even consider the reality of the spiritual dimension and the demonic. It seems like fantasy to them. We've been educated that way, of course, as well. But equally, we don't want to be magicians and we don't want to be obsessed and overly, in an unhealthy way, interested in this realm. And so let's keep the correct balance in all of this. We do have to acknowledge that there are celestial beings, heavenly beings. We're talking about the angels and the demons. And... Um, but they're also terrestrial beings, beings of the earth, the beasts of the field, the animal kingdom, nature, but also ourselves. We fall into that category. We are physical. And yet humans are unique in this respect. They are both celestial and terrestrial. God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul, a spiritual being as well. But we're also physical, so we're a kind of interface, a point of interaction between both the celestial, the heavenly, and the terrestrial, earthly realm. We're familiar with interfaces with our touching of screens, phones, smartphones, tablets, and so on. And the idea is that the spiritual realm can touch our lives, even in the physical, and interact with us. Uh, so we need to acknowledge right at the outset the spiritual nature of the human being. And we see that Satan interacted with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden right at the very beginning of time and they effectively wrested dominion from the hands of Adam uh, in order to manipulate humankind to have an influence over this universe. And that's still going on even in the lives of unbelievers and some believers too in the day and age in which we live. Ephesians 2 verse 2 in the Amplified Version says, In which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and the fashion of this world, were under the sway and the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. That's another uh, title for the devil. You were obedient to him and were under his control. The demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Wow, the demon spirit who still constantly works in the sons of disobedience. In other words, Satan in the demonic realm still pulls the strings of individuals in our world, even if they don't realize it. Um, and of course, there are other scriptures that bears this out. Second Corinthians 4 verse 4 speaks of how the, uh, Satan seeks to blind the minds uh, of those who do not believe. 
whose minds the God, small g, that Satan of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Even in Second Timothy uh, 2 verse 26, Paul says he, he, he desires that people should come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So Satan takes people captive at his will to do his purposes. Wow. And of course, Isaiah 61, the mandate, the mission statement of Messiah was that Jesus would come to set at liberty, freedom, the captives. And so the blind eyes would be opened, prisons would be opened, and uh, those imprisoned would be released. And Messiah would come to demolish what sin and Satan has done. First John chapter 3, verse 8 uh, bears this out. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil, the wicked one. The word destroy there is the Greek word loo, which means loose or dissolve or sever, demolish. Jesus came to cause Satan's kingdom to be unstuck at the seams, to be collapsed. And so Christ came to free us from what evil and demonic influences have done. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus again bears this out as he talks about his mission to bring the kingdom of God. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Some of the religious leaders were accusing him of casting out demons by the prince of demons. But Jesus pointing out, no, this is an actual sign, signal that the kingdom of God has come, that demons are being cast out. And Jesus, in fact, went beyond the precedent of the Old Testament, I believe, in this. There are examples in the Old Testament of miracles, but no record of any prophet or patriarch who ever cast out a demon. This was reserved for Jesus as Messiah as a unique demonstration that the kingdom of God had indeed come. And we see Peter preaching this in Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 38. It almost sounds like Isaiah 61 again. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And when you actually calculated it in the four Gospels, a third of the ministry of Jesus was deliverance. Peter links healing with all who were oppressed of the devil, and some of the healings that Jesus did were in fact expulsions of spirits of infirmity, deaf and dumb spirits, etc., so deliverance is part of the healing ministry of Jesus in the gospel of the kingdom and is part of the ministry of the church today. Jesus said as much in Mark 16, 17, in Mark's version of the Great Commission, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues, etc. So the church is meant to be engaged in this. It's not meant to be a fringe ministry for weirdos. It's meant to be something that is in the main core body of the church as part of how we preach and administer the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 29 of Matthew 12, uh, Jesus says, How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? And Jesus is the stronger man who has invaded Satan's house and overcome him and taken his weapons and is now claiming his spoils, the people that the, the enemy has had as trophies. And often we understand the cross of Jesus, don't we, in respect of sin, we get forgiven. Thank God for that. But we fail to appreciate the extent of the victory there is in the cross over Satan and his kingdom. Paul depicts this in Colossians 2.15. Jesus, having spoiled principalities and powers, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in his cross. 
Jesus has spoiled the devil's goods through the cross. But one huge question that you'll see in your notes that is often posed by Christians is, how does the demonic relate to the, the, the Christian? Uh, what about Christians and demons? What about demonization in the Christian? And I would encourage you to read my book, Breaking Through Barriers to Blessing. In chapter 13, I look at the idea of Christian immunity and we explore this a little bit more than we can here today. But very often there's the attitude in the church when someone is born again, the demonic ceases to be a problem for them. But none of us would ever suggest that sin is no longer a problem for a Christian, the world of the flesh. So why is it that we assume that the devil cannot touch us? Of course, there's overwhelming material in the New Testament warning Christians of the work of Satan. In fact, everything in the New Testament to do with Satan was rich, written originally to Christians. Do not be ignorant um, of Satan's devices and schemes. We read, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. Him resist steadfast in the faith. These references are in your notes. Um, Ephesians 6 verse 12, one of the more famous ones in verse 13, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And then he, he tells us the pieces of armour that we need to utilise. Now, let me be absolutely and categorically clear. We're not talking about demon possession here. And possession is an unfortunate term that English translators often translate a word that would be better translated demonized. And so we're talking not so much about ownership, which possession often connotates, but we're talking about influence, which this word demonization um, gives us an idea of. And so if you look at the chart um, the graph um, just now, the sliding scale of demonic influence, you will see that all of us are influenced by intrusive demonic thoughts, thoughts of temptation at times that don't always come from our hearts. Often they do, but sometimes they come from outside uh, in order to um, torment us or intimidate us or tempt us. Um, and if we let those thoughts in, they often become feelings and then they can affect our behavior. But essentially, that's what the enemy wants. He wants to affect our actions, even to the point later on, it's a very extreme version of demonization where we can be possessed um, and used by the devil at will. A Christian cannot be owned by the devil, but we have to say a Christian can be influenced by the devil, even to the point of being demonized. How does that happen? When we give him a right to be in our lives in any area, uh, he takes that right. You might own a car. You might give permission for somebody else to, to, to enter that car and drive it. You give them the keys. And even if you are driving the car, in fact, you might have some unsavory passenger uh, or a backseat driver who's on board trying to distract you or redirect you or take a hold of the wheel. And that's what the demonic wants to do. And we need to demystify um, the idea of the demonic just as the Holy Spirit empowers godly choices in our life according to God's word when we make ungodly choices the enemy will seek to empower those choices by demons think of demonic spirits simply as empowering forces that's what makes it difficult for many people to overcome certain behaviors especially if that behavior is a coping mechanism for a wound um, it can be very difficult to dislodge that behaviour because the enemy has come in and imparted it around that wound. Now, 
How does Satan gain access specifically in our lives? Well, wounds is a huge area. We looked at that before. We'll not spend time on it. But wounds are an area of infection for germs and wounds in our heart are definitely areas of infection for the demonic, just like germs. This is not an exhaustive list, but I've split up the two main general areas of where Satan gains access into areas of knowing participation in sin and darkness and unknowing participation in sin and darkness. In other words, through ignorance, the force of another, or the iniquity of another passing down to us. Basically, the enemy is looking for a foothold to build a stronghold of lies in our minds and hearts in order that that would become a stranglehold and squeeze the life of God out of us and any peace and joy, love, etc. In Ephesians 4, 27, Paul says, Do not give the devil a foothold. The, the word there, foothold, can be translated opportunity. The Greek is topos, which literally means like a, a rock climber getting his toe into a crevice to get an advantage. That's what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to get a, a foothold in our lives. The enemy is a legalist and if you give him any rights in your life, he will take squatter's rights. You can be assured of that if he can. So let's look at these two uh, general areas. Knowing participation in sin and darkness. In other words, that is willfully and freely indulging in any sin without confession, repentance or, or challenge to it. Let me give you a lesson again. This isn't exhaustive of what these might be. First of all, idolatry. Idolatry and demonization often come together. Paul in the New Testament says in 1 Corinthians 10, 19-21, What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons, for you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So false religion and idolatry is not something that's just negligible. It, it is actually demonic. And there's power in idolatry. So idolatry can open a door for the demonic. S sexual ties, ungodly relationships. We've spent a whole session on this and I'm not going to repeat it on soul ties how the enemy can use these uh, ungodly unbalanced relationships to be a channel to oppress us fairly unforgiveness and of course we're familiar with that parable the unforgiving servant which Jesus concludes by saying his master was angry with him Matthew 18 34 35 and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due him so my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. There are consequences if we harbor bitterness or unforgiveness and resentment in our hearts. We give our right to the enemy to oppress us. And I believe these torturers or tormentors are speaking of uh, the demonic realm. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we see this, where Paul says, verse 10 and 11, Whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And the story behind this was a guy who, in 1 Corinthians, was put out of the church because of grave sexual immorality and sin. But he repents so much that, that Paul says you need to receive him back into the fellowship now. They wouldn't have him back 
because um, Paul told them to put him out. But he says, look, you've got to forgive that guy. I've forgiven him. You've got to forgive him lest Satan gets an advantage because we're not ignorant of his devices, his schemes. And one of Satan's primary schemes is to overreach us through bitterness and unforgiveness. Another area of knowing participation is addiction. Addictions can uh, really bind us and open a doorway to demonic empowerment. And that's what you don't always get told when you're told of the addiction cycle, that the demonic can come in. Pain seeks out pleasure, we know. But the demonic comes in and propels us in that behavior. And often, of course, there's a wound there at the, the, the bottom of it all driving us. But, you know, you can give up one addiction and take up another one. Even hypnosis can help people in that. But very often what happens is, dangerously when you open your mind up to another in hypnosis it, it the, the the addiction moves from one thing to another i heard of people giving up cigarettes but they become uh, addicts to certain sweets and they, you never see them unless they're sucking or chewing a particular sweet so addiction can be a, a, an unknowing or sorry a knowing participation with evil the occult is the most obvious perhaps charms divination black white magic we could go on paganism wicca and uh, there's been an explosion of this in our society at the moment. The use of the Ouija board and so on was popularized through um, a film a number of years ago. Um, and, and Proverbs 26 and uh, uh, verse 2 we read, Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without a cause shall not alight. And when you start to dabble in the occult, there can be a curse brought upon you and even your, your home. And this can still affect you even after conversion. For some people, all this falls away, but for, for others, it doesn't. And uh, there was actually something interested me not so long ago um, where I heard of uh, some Catholic bishops um, and a priest saying that, that he needed backup um, for the, the, the demonization that there was. This is in the south of Ireland. And he said the demand for exorcism has risen exponentially. And there's even an organization, I don't know much about it, the International Association of Exorcists. And they said that the levels of demonic activity have reached what they considered to be a pastoral emergency. Wow. I even heard a, an exorcist, um, a Roman Catholic exorcist from the Vatican on Sky News. I'm just telling you what he said. He said, I don't think that the devil has upped his game. I just think more people are willing to play the game. That's interesting. Now, I do think the enemy is up to his game as we come near this, the, the, the close of the age and the return of Jesus. But it is true to say that more people in our society are, are cooperating with darkness and idolatry than ever there has been. And I could give you many examples of, of that and we don't have time to go into that right now. Uh, so that's knowing participation in sin and darkness. But then there's unknowing participation and it's arguable um, more people perhaps could get bound in this area than the, than, than the knowing through ignorance. Let me give you some examples of this. One major one is fear. Fear is public enemy number one and the enemy uses it as his greatest weapon perhaps. When we listen to the lies of the enemy, those thoughts that he plants into our head about ourselves, about God, about life and everything... And we listen to those lies and if they enter our emotions and eventually even into the depths of our spirit, they can become phobias that really hinder our behaviour. Um, we don't have time to go into too much more of that other than to acknowledge that fear is a weapon that the enemy can get hold of us and there is a spirit of fear. Martial arts, um, I'm not against defence or exercise, 
But very often we need to look at the origins of some of these activities. And when we do, we, we sometimes find that there, there are dubious origins. And very often the idea of martial arts is to channel our anger. But what can happen in a spiritual dimension, I'm not saying for everybody, but for some who have even testified of this, they open themselves up to the chi, the force of energy uh, that is believed to be in the universe and, and mysticism. So we need to be careful. We need to look at the origins of some of these practices, including alternative medicines and therapies. I'm not saying every alternative to standard medicine is wrong. I'm not saying that, but we need to look at the origins. Um, are they in false religion, Eastern mysticism, um, and even exercises that people do, like yoga. Um, yoga, of course, means yoke, and it, the idea was originally was to link yourself to deity and to open up yourself to those forces. Um, and Reiki is, is probably more sinister than that, where you're actually trying to connect with, with a force outside yourself. In the Hindu religion, of course, the, the gods, the deities are animalistic, and that's why some of the exercises, particularly in yoga, are animalistic in their form. We need to be so careful, especially as Christians. Isaiah 2, 6 in the NIV says of God's people in those days, they are full of superstitions from the East. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. We need to be careful that we are not being superstitious or embracing customs of false religions that open the doorway to the demonic. Then another area is secret societies. Now, Freemasonry is in the title of this uh, session. I don't have time to go into this in too much detail, but I, I would encourage you to research it. Um, and there's some stuff on my website about it as well. But whenever we take oaths and curses upon ourselves, they can often affect not only us mentally, emotionally and physically, but our families, their health as well. And we need to be careful that, that what we are um, ascending to is of God and when you find you go up the degrees of Freemason you find that it's not of God at all it is false religion and then generational iniquity and there's other secret societies I should say as well in the family of Freemasonry but generational iniquity is another unknowing participation where things that people have done in our ancestry affects us and influence in some way and so that can be a doorway of the demonic as well now let me give you a word of warning we must not uh, do a, an introspective post-mortem on ourselves or on the people that we're ministering to in these areas. We just need to be aware of them to know that these are, are doorways to danger that can affect people. If God witnesses that there could be a problem, then deal with it. But let's not invent it for ourselves or for other people. But are you experiencing those back backseat drivers reaching in and wanting to take the wheel and direction of your life away? Neutrality is not an option either. In the spiritual war being waged today, you're either for or against Christ. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Beware of an empty life. Jesus says in that same passage, Matthew 12, 43 to 45, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. But it's also relevant to individuals. Beware of an empty life. That's why I very rarely would ever um, 
cast a demonic spirit out of someone who had not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. Because if they're not prepared to do that, and this is where discernment is necessary, maybe that is what's needed to bring them to Christ. But more often than not, they'll end up in a worse state because their life is empty and devoid of the spirit and the enemy will come back with seven of his friends and they'll be in a worse state. An empty life is a standing invitation for Satan to go to work. Ananias and Sapphira were believers in the book of Acts and they believed it was possible to be 95% obedient to God but remain safely disobedient in one small area. But that one small area was a patch big enough for Satan to gain a stronghold and it says Satan filled their hearts. You read it for yourself. So if we want to break free from demonic oppression, we need to be real with sin and compromise. In Acts 19 verse 11 and 12, there's a wonderful story. It says there, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Unusual miracles. I wonder what unusual miracles are. We would settle for a few miracles, bog standard miracles, uh, basic ones, but these were unusual and they were also accompanied with with these deliverances. But we also read that verse 13, some of the itinerant Jews, the exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, this is hilarious, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed uh, against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now what really happened was these Jewish guys who hadn't truly believed in Jesus saw Paul casting out demons um, in the name of Jesus and they were fiddling about a little bit, dabbling in exorcism and they thought this is a new technique, let's use this. Beware of just technique without a relationship with Jesus and a depth in your life. So they did it and the demon said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, who are you? And then the demon and the man effectively beat them up and they went away running almost dark naked. And this brought fear on everyone. And in verse 18 it says, Many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. The English Standard Version says, Also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. What that means is they were already believers. They had come to faith in Christ, but they were still dabbling in the dark arts in some way in their pagan uh, traditional backgrounds. I don't know what it was. But we do read this in verse 17 to 20, um, that, that they believed, they came confessing and telling their deeds. Many of those who had preached, uh, sorry, practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them in a total 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So their amulets, their superstitious objects, their magic um, potions, their spell books or whatever it was, they brought it all together and had a great bonfire. Now 50,000 drachma is a lot of money. One drachma was a day's wage at that time. And if we say like a day's wage, 95 pounds in, in sterling for instance, for the sake of argument, if you're to multiply 95 by 50,000, you know what you get? 4,750,000 pounds worth. That was expensive. 
But you see, there is a cost to break with darkness at times. And actually, as you read on in the story, you find there was a riot in, in, in Ephesus because of this, because of what happened. Um, and then the blessing came in verse 20. We read that the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. So if you want blessing in your life, you've to deal ruthlessly with the darkness that is there in order to break free. We've looked at a lot here today. But um, let's take a moment just to pray through how we can help others and how we can be helped ourselves. If the Holy Spirit is placing his finger on some area of demonic oppression and influence that you need to or someone else needs to be set free from. Thank you, Lord, that it was for freedom that we were set free. Thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, but also looses us from the influence of sin and sets us free from the powers of darkness. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to the world in order to set us free from the works of the, the wicked one. And I pray through the power of the gospel and the blood of Jesus and the message of the kingdom that people even watching this video will be set free, that they'll repent and renounce their cooperation with darkness. And I would even now say, enemy be gone, darkness be gone, demonic strongholds be gone, be demolished, and be expelled now in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Don't forget there is a prayer in your notes. Um, in order to, it's only an example of course, to break the powers of darkness, and it just goes like this. Father, I acknowledge and confess Jesus Christ as Lord over all. I declare that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, uh, to your glory, Father. I surrender myself to you, spirit, soul and body. I surrender every area of my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ alone. I renounce my pride and self-righteousness along with any virtue that has that, that has, has not come from you as its source. I understand that I have no entitlement to your mercy, only that your son died in my place. I renounce Satan and all his works. I sever all contact I've ever had with the occult, with any secret society or with false religion particularly. Be specific with those things in your life. I confess the ways in which I have knowingly or ignorantly cooperated with Satan and given him a, a gateway into my life. Particularly, I confess, be specific again, and I repent of these. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, Father, to please break the ungodly tie between and insert the name of the person, the place, the practitioner, the organization, the object, bringing all that ungodly influence there into this. And I ask you to break that tie between those people, organizations, and me. Separate me, spirit, soul, and body from the effects of this ungodly tie. Father, I thank you that on the cross your son Jesus was made a curse so that I could be redeemed from every curse and instead inherit God's blessing. Because this is true, I ask that you will release me to receive the deliverance I need. I choose to identify with you, Lord Jesus, and stand against Satan's demons. I submit my all to you, Lord, resisting the devil. Amen. Now you need, might need a bit of help, especially if you're manifesting some demonic presence in some way exhibiting in somewhere, feeling uh, strange. But we can talk about that in a more practical session later on But uh, and even in our discussions together. But get the help that you need from, from people who know how to deal with this. 
And uh, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord set you free from every encroachment of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen.